Please open up your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning of verse 3. We're going to read through verse 9, verses 3 through 9 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, we're getting close, only four days until Christmas, and hopefully your joy is increasing. But hopefully kids out there, it's the right kind of joy. Joy is um, our final candle of Advent, as you just heard. And joy in reality, is the culmination and the overflow of everything else that we've been talking about. Hope in Christ should fill us with peace in Christ, which demonstrates the love that we have in Christ, which altogether adds up to overflow with joy in Christ. So Jesus is hope, Jesus is peace, he is love, and he is our joy. So as you're turning there to the, to the text, I saw a video this week. Um, actually, it was a couple of weeks ago. Um, some, uh, the, it was a compilation of a bunch of um, reactions that the little kids have when they open a present that they've really been wanting really bad. And maybe you've seen some of these videos on YouTube or something. Just kids that will go, they'll rip open the present, they see it, and they just go crazy. Some sort of crazy, over-the-top, joyful, emotional reaction to this item that they just unwrapped. And so I was watching this video and saw a compilation of those. Um, and, and I... Even remembering my own childhood or even my own kids and, um, you know, as a parent, seeing my kids as they, they open a present, a gift perhaps that they've wanted and that they've asked for. And they, they peel back that first layer of, a, of the wrapping paper and it begins to reveal. They begin to see what's there and they, they get excited and they peel back the second layer and they, that excitement grows. And, and then the third layer and then by that time they're just bouncing all over the place till they get that wrapping off. And they're having unbridled excitement and joy at what they have received. In today's text today, we're, we're looking at something that reminds me of that phenomenon. But of course, it's much more important than that. The great gift spoken of in today's text is our salvation. And as more aspects of our salvation is revealed as we go through this text, as more aspects of our salvation is spoken of and revealed... We should feel our joy expanding as we peel back layers in this text here. Wow, wow, wow. We should feel our joy expanding until we get to the end of the text and our joy should be overflowing. That's my hope and desire this morning by taking us to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. So please stand, if you would, as we read this text. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. This is the word of the Lord. That's why we, we stand. We stand in the honor of reading this infallible, this inerrant word to us this morning. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and thank you for this great salvation that you have given to us. But in order to celebrate that salvation rightly this morning, Lord, we need to confess our sin to you. Lord, if there be anything in our hearts this morning, any sin that you've brought to our mind that we simply need to ask your forgiveness for, we do it right now, Lord. Corporately together, we want to be a body ready to receive your word this morning. So prepare our hearts. Let our hearts make room, as we just sang a minute ago. But Father, that's not something we can do in our own strength. So we ask, Lord, you do a work in our heart and that you prepare our ears for your word and grant me a mouth to speak. And do ask, Lord, that you would sustain my voice until the end of this sermon. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. What is joy? What is true, genuine joy? It's been rightly said that joy is more than, than mere happiness. Although I do think that true happiness um, flows out of joy. Happiness, at least the way we Americans understand it, is usually dependent upon our circumstances. Whereas joy isn't dependent upon our circumstances. So here's my definition of joy for you this morning. Joy is a deep, durable delight. A deep, durable delight in and devotion to God as the greatest treasure in the universe. A deep, durable delight in and devotion to God as the greatest treasure in the universe. So when that treasure, God, puts flesh on and comes to man to save man, then joy is spread. Joy flows. We, we talk about joy so much at the Christmas season. Joy is proclaimed, it's trumpeted, it's declared, it's heralded, it's announced. Luke chapter 2 verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. When people find Jesus, when they are, over, they are overwhelmed with joy, when they encounter Christ. Matthew 2 verse 9, it says, and behold, this is speaking of the wise men. And behold, the star that they, had been, that they had seen, when it arose, went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's as if Matthew didn't have enough words to express how much joy they felt at seeing King Jesus. Christmas is about joy. It's about discovering the greatest treasure ever given to mankind and thereby experiencing a deep, durable delight in that treasure. The Apostle Peter begins his first epistle with expressions of this deep, durable delight. He begins this letter to the churches of the dispersion. He begins it with praise, with doxology. It's how he chooses to begin his letter. It's praise driven by joy. You see joy mentioned a couple of times in the text. Verse 6, it says, in this you rejoice. And then in verse 8, you believe in him and rejoice 
with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Joy. Now the word Peter here uses in both of those verses for rejoice is a much stronger word than the normal Greek word for rejoice. The normal Greek word for rejoice is um, karaio. I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing that right. And that's the normal word that is used for joy. But Peter chooses not to use that word here. In Peter's epistle, he chooses to use another word. A word that refers to an exceedingly glad, abundantly happy type of joy. It actually carries the idea of a of a joy that's out of this world, an otherworldly, a supernatural type of joy. That's the word that Peter chooses to use here. So it's that joy that I, I want to focus on this morning. I want to see where that type of joy comes from. I want to want to have that type of joy. What stirs up an out-of-this-world joy in a person? Kids, it does not come from a new shiny toy. Big kids, it does not come from more money. Parents, it doesn't come from well-adjusted kids. Wives, it doesn't come from a more romantic husband. Husbands, it doesn't come from a more affectionate wife. Deep joy doesn't come from any human experience, any human relationship, any human possession, any human diversion or experience. The joy that Peter speaks of here comes only from Christ and what Christ has accomplished on our behalf, namely the great gift of salvation. So we're peeling back the layers this morning, the wrapping paper around that gift called salvation, and hopefully our joy is going to be stimulated. Our great salvation is one of Peter's main themes in this epistle. And Peter knows that the the deeper we think about our salvation, the more we meditate upon our salvation, the more it should produce Intense joy, a deep, durable delight that does not depend on or sway with external circumstances. Now, the recipients of Peter's letter here are Christians dispersed throughout the Roman Empire who are under severe affliction, severe persecution. So you can see why he wants them to have a joy that's not dependent upon circumstances. Because the circumstances that the, the recipients of this letter find themselves in are terrible circumstances. So Peter wants to remind them of their salvation, and in doing so, he is confident that as they meditate upon their salvation, there will be great, intense joy generated in their hearts. So I don't know what circumstances you're facing this morning. I doubt your life is in danger like these Christians were. You're probably not facing death if you refuse to deny Christ. You probably are not experiencing the plundering of your property. But I do not wish to minimize the trials that you are facing. Some of you in here will be with relatives this week that hate God. Some of the persecution that you may be facing is more emotional and psychological in nature. And all of us in here, if we will be honest, are facing some some sort of trial. Even trials of our own making through our own sinful choices. But regardless of the nature of your trial, we are all facing something that wants to steal our joy. And so Christian, do not let anything or anyone rob you of what is yours in Christ. We are commanded in Philippians 4.4 to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So 
This morning, Peter wants us to do that. He wants to help us do that. He wants to help the elect exiles of the dispersion do that. So let's peel back the first layer this morning. And here's the first thing I want us to see is Christians ought to have an out-of-this-world joy because in Jesus we have been given, first of all, a gracious regeneration, meaning new life, new birth. A gracious regeneration, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, there's the grace, gracious, because according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Christian brothers and sisters, the first thing that should stir up joy in our hearts this morning is the fact that we were once dead men walking, but now we live. You have been born again. You have been made new. You were lifeless, a heap of dry bones, and then God breathed new life into you. Does that not give you joy? It certainly should. And God is the one who did it. I once heard someone say to me, you know, I'm a Christian, but just not one of those born-againers. Not one of those born-again types. Friends, if you're not one of those born-againers, you're not in any way a true Christian. Jesus told a very confused Nicodemus this. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Poor old Nicodemus should have known that, for the scriptures taught it long ago that man needed to be reborn, to be given a new heart. Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And notice who, according to the prophet Ezekiel and according to the apostle Peter and even according to Jesus in John chapter 3, Notice who does the regenerating work. It's God. Looking at Ezekiel again, I will give you a new heart. I will put it within you. I will remove the heart of stone. I will put my spirit in you. And so Peter here, he says, he has caused us to be born again. God is the agent of your new birth, and that should give you great joy. I mean, how many of you on your birthday, if you celebrate your birthday, when you get older, kids, you understand this, you stop celebrating. But how many of you on your birthday, you got the cake there and everything, how many of you stand up and take credit for your birth? Thank you all for coming here. Yes, I know it was a great birth 40-something years ago, and um, thank you for coming and appreciating me. You don't do that. You don't take credit for your own birth on your birthday. Neither should you take any credit for your new birth. It's all God's working. Our regeneration, our new birth is a sovereign work of God, and we must get that. So Jesus says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 7, Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, we studied that passage a while back, and what this is referring to is the sovereign freedom of the Spirit of God to breathe wind, life, into whomever he wills. It's a glorious truth, for God will have mercy on whom he has mercy, 
and compassion on whom he has compassion. The question this morning is this, why does Peter, why does Peter want us to focus on the fact that God did it? Why, Peter? You could just say, hey, be thankful for your new birth. But why does he focus on the, the fact that he caused us to be born again? Why, Peter? Because our joy is at stake. You see, God loves us and wants us to delight in the greatest treasure possible. And of course, he is that treasure. So we are to rejoice in his work, mediated by his son, applied by his spirit. Our deep, durable delight is in him, not in any way in us. If you find your Christian joy centered in any sort of way on you, then you are robbing yourself of true, deep joy. Tell me, if we were the origin of our new birth, okay, if it was found deep in us, if it was grounded in our free will, then in whom would we ultimately be delighting? Our foundational delight would be in us. And friends, delighting in ourselves is what? Starts with an I, ends with a Y. It's called idolatry. It's not deep, it's not durable, it's shallow, and it's fleeting. If we even assume .001% of the credit for our salvation, then we are robbing God of his glory and we are robbing ourselves of true joy. We must agree with the Apostle John who says this in John chapter 1 verse 13. We were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Oh, Christian, take joy in the fact that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. Rejoice in that fact, friends. Rejoice in the fact That in Christ you are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this new birth, this, this new creation is the work of God through the word of God. Later in, in 1 Peter, we read this in verse 23 of chapter 1. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So another question for you this morning, fellow believer, another question for you. Does this book give you joy? The same book that caused new life to spring up in you should be the same book that causes new life to flourish in you. So if by it, deep, durable delight was originally sparked in you, then by it, deep, durable delight should be also continually stoked in you. This is a wonderful, joy-producing book. And according to Peter, we were born again to a living hope. And we, we talked about hope 
three weeks ago. Hope stands on what God has already done and on what he has promised to do. It's a living hope because we are made alive in Christ and given a sure future. Christ is our hope. Christ is alive. Christian hope is not a subjective, blind, wishful desire that things will just turn out good for us. Our hope is objective, faith-fueled, certain assurance that God is working all things for our good. It is a certain hope because our hope is in Jesus and Jesus is alive. So we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Our new life is made possible because Christ defeated death. His resurrection is our resurrection. We, by virtue of our union with him, have defeated death. First, now, spiritual death, and then one day, physical death. His resurrection secures now our new birth, our new life. The already, the the new life now, the spiritual rebirth. But we also have the not yet, the new bodies, a physical resurrection. And that is a certain hope. It is a sure and steadfast hope. It is not a wishful thinking or a possibility. It is an immovable certainty. It is a sure thing. You know why it's a sure thing? Because there is a cave in Palestine that is empty. That's why it's a sure thing. There is a grave over in the Middle East that used to have a body in it, and that body got up and walked out, and that's why we know we're going to be having resurrection bodies just like that one. It's a sure hope. And that's a joy-generating truth. That's a joy. I mean, the things that should get us joyful at Christmas time isn't just all the good food. And let me thank all those in here who brought food to my family this week. It, it really did appreciate it. I wasn't looking over there, Daphne. <laughs> let me appreciate all those who brought food this week. And I, I, obviously, I've eaten a lot of it, okay? That's great. And I love the fellowship, and you love getting together with family, and you love the gifts and all the decorations and everything. But friends, if that's all your joy is based upon, it's going to fade away January 1 when you pack up the boxes and throw away the leftovers and say goodbye to the family. Our joy is a steadfast, immovable joy based upon an empty tomb. So that's joy-generating truths. Christians, we should have an out-of-this-world joy because in Jesus we have been given a gracious regeneration, but also a grand inheritance. A grand inheritance. We were born again to a living hope, but also, according to verse 4 here, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, kept in heaven for you. You see, if you've been born again, friend, then you have been born into the family of God. You have been adopted into God's family. You are a child of God, a son, a co-heir with Jesus Christ. The readers of this letter had most, most likely lost many of their material possessions. Perhaps they had lost everything, houses, fortunes, possessions, even family members. But they could continue forth in joy in deep, durable delight because they had a greater possession. They had heavenly possessions. Listen to the words here, imperishable, that means indestructible. Kids, you will open your gifts this Christmas and you know what, they'll probably be gone, destroyed or forgotten by the time you're my age. Clothes will wear out and disintegrate, 
Toys will break down and be discarded. Money will be spent and lost. It's all dust. Just this week on the, on the news, you see what's happening in Russia because oil prices are going down. It's causing the, the economy in Russia to collapse. And literally the ruble, which is the, the Russian currency, is evaporating. It doesn't have the same value it had just two weeks ago. It's just literally disintegrating before the very eyes the value of the money they have in their wallet. First it's the ruble, but eventually it'll be the dollar. It's all dust. But the inheritance we have as sons of God is imperishable. And that should give us joy. This inheritance is also undefiled. Meaning it's perfect. It cannot be corrupted. We open Christmas gifts that are imperfect. There's nothing more frustrating as a parent than than opening something on Christmas morning. And maybe this has happened to you. And you get the toy out for your kid and it does not work. You put the batteries in. You put it together the way it's supposed to. It's defective. And then you have to go stand in this ridiculously long line at Walmart to take this thing back in order to get a toy that works. Or worse than that, parents, you you give your kid the new toy and it does work. And what do they do? It is broken before Christmas dinner. What are you doing? Do you know how much that costs? These These are things that can be defiled. We are frustrated when that those things happen because we live in an imperfect, corruptible world. Earthly treasures can be defiled, but heavenly treasures cannot be defiled, and that should give us joy. This inheritance is also unfading, meaning it's eternal. Olivia bought flowers for Heather this week as she was recovering from surgery. They were beautiful flowers, and, but she brought them a week ago when we got back from the hospital. And a week later, that beauty, the beauty of those flowers have faded. They've begun to turn brown, dry out. But not so with heavenly treasures. They never wear out. They last forever. They are eternal and that should give us joy. Now Peter doesn't focus exactly on what this inheritance is. But we know from other places in scripture that our inheritance is multifaceted. We don't have time to talk about it all this morning. But but for one we'll inherit a new heavens and a new earth. We're told in Matthew 5, 5 we will inherit the earth. Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 3, 21 that all things are ours. Romans 8, 38 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So one day we will live in a restored, a purified new heavens and new earth, and that will be part of our inheritance. And there's other heavenly rewards. And we look forward to a day when we have a, a new and a better home. A city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God, according to Hebrews eleven ten. But the greatest of our heavenly treasures is simply unbroken communion with God himself. Philippians 3, 8. Paul talks about counting all this stuff in his life that he'd accumulated as trash compared to knowing a relationship with Christ. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. So friends, if, children, listen to me. If our society were to turn around and become like the society that Peter is writing to, where persecution is rampant, and I don't think that is an impossibility, by the way. 
where persecution is rampant. And guess what? You lose your stuff. You lose the new shiny things you have in your house. You lose the comfortable abode that you have. Guess what? If you're truly a born-again believer, you should have a joy that's not affected by any of that. You should be like Paul, who suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Are you willing to count the new thing you tear open this Thursday? Are you willing to count that as rubbish, kids? Compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. Yes, the greatest treasure that we will have is Emmanuel. God dwelling with man for all eternity. So Christian, this Christmas, I want you to have an exceeding joy, a deep, durable delight. I want us to heed the apostles' words in Colossians 3.1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So don't fix your eyes, kids, on new shiny toys. Don't fix your eyes, moms, on pulling off the perfect Christmas dinner. Don't fix your eyes, dads, on the perfect family that respects you for all you do. Don't fix your eyes, singles, on that fictional perfect spouse that you hope will arrive in 2015. Don't fix your eyes, Americans, on that elusive amount of money that if you can just make this much, everything will be good. Don't fix your eyes on those things. Fixing your eyes on those things are like when you have a little kid and you give them a gift on Christmas and you're happy and excited about the gift. They decide to play with the wrapping paper and the box. They're thrilled with trash and you've given them a gift. And how many in the American church are thrilled with trash? perishable, defilable trash. When God wants us to root our joy in something imperishable. So let us keep fixing our eyes on him this morning. Let's keep tearing back the layers here. Christians ought to have an out-of-this-world joy because in Jesus we've been given a gracious regeneration, a grand inheritance, and a guaranteed perseverance. Verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Who by God's power are being guarded. Again, who is the causal agent here? It is God. God causes us to be born again. God gives us an inheritance. And we see here that God does the preserving. He keeps us. For by God's power we are being guarded through faith for salvation. This is joy-generating hope. Oh, friends, how that should stir up joy in us to know that those of us who are truly saved, that God is the one who guarantees we stay saved. We are so prone to wander. We, all of us, would walk away from our salvation if it were not for God's intervention. Every one of us would walk away from our salvation if it were not for God's intervention. He is the one who keeps us. He is the one who makes sure that we will finish. I, um, I've always kind of wanted to run like a half marathon or something. When I was in college, I actually ran. I know you look at me and say, no, you didn't. Yes, I did. I used to have to run five miles 
every day during practice for soccer. So I um, used to think about running a, a half marathon or even a marathon, but you know what kept me from doing it? I just was afraid I wouldn't finish. I did not want to start something I couldn't complete. I probably pride, okay? I didn't want to be pulling over after mile two going, oh, I'm done. But in the Christian race, guess what? That'll sap your joy if you think it's all up to you. Guess what? If you're truly a believer, he's the one keeping you. If we determine that our perseverance is solely up to us, we'll kill our joy. You see, that's legalism, and legalism is a heavy, joy-draining burden. Now, make no mistake, we do participate in our perseverance, but we do so only because God is at work in us. We do work, we do perform good deeds, we do fight for holiness, but not to keep ourselves in God's grace, but because we are already in God's grace. There's a difference there. Philippians 2.12 is a classic passage to go to to help us understand this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is working in us, keeping us. Our Lord Jesus taught in John chapter 10. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And it's an ongoing work of God. Notice in verse 5 it says, we are being guarded. We are being guarded. We are, we are being continually guarded through faith. And even our faith is a gift of God, which we'll talk about here in a second. As we continually trust, continually put all of our weight, all of our hope in Christ, we experience his continual guarding Faith is the God-ordained means through which our perseverance takes place. We continue to stand in hope on Christ, and he keeps us. He keeps us and holds us and carries us to the end. And this should produce joy. Verse 6, in this you rejoice. In this you overflow with an out-of-this-world joy. Now the this of verse 6 is referring back to everything we just talked about in verses 3 through 5. All of our gracious regeneration, our grand inheritance, and our guaranteed perseverance. All of this, in all of this, we rejoice. If we'll meditate upon these things, it should produce deep, durable delight in God. But the next thing I want us to see is that Christians ought to have an out-of-this-world joy because in Jesus we have been given a genuine faith. A genuine faith, verse 6 In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, as I mentioned earlier, faith is a gift of God. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. But if that text doesn't convince you that faith is a gift, let me take you to a couple of other ones. Acts chapter 18, verse 27. Speaking of Paul's missionary exploits, it says, And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those, now listen to this, who through grace had believed. Who through grace, 
had believed. Believed, the word there is the same word for faith. How did they have faith? Through grace. God's mercy provided the faith. Through grace they had believed and exercised their faith. Or listen to this stunning passage. Acts 13, verse 48. You know this one. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Faith. Had faith. So as many who was appointed to eternal life had faith. Who had faith? Who believed? Those who had been appointed to eternal life. Again, God's sovereign freedom on display as we see the fullness of grace, the glory of grace. And in seeing sovereign grace, we should have a deeper and more durable joy. That's why genuine faith, according to today's text, verse 7, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Who is praised at the end of this text? It is not us. God is the one who is praised and glorified in honor. For in Christ he has worked a great and sovereign grace for his people. Now this text teaches us that the genuineness, the authenticity of our faith is tested by trials. If we abandon our faith, then it will be proven to be a false faith. True faith stands the test of time and stands through trials. True saints persevere to the end. Because true saints are preserved by God. Those in whom God has begun a work are those in whom he will finish the work. I sometimes get the question. Someone might ask me, how can I have assurance? How can I have assurance? And I think the answer to that question is, one of the answers to that question, there's many answers, but one can be this. How are you handling trials? Do you see what Peter is saying here? Trials are a means used by God to validate, to confirm the genuineness of our faith. He doesn't need to validate. He knows. But it's for us. So that the tested genuineness of our faith can be seen. When I lived in Ecuador, you go to the market, and they sell all kinds of different things, but they sell shoes there as well. And you could buy a pair of Nikes, at Nike shoes, at, at the market in Ecuador. The problem is, They weren't really Nike shoes. They were not authentic. They were fake Nike shoes. Now, some of them were easy to detect because some of the shoemakers spelt Nike, N-I-K-E-E. You know, Nike, all right? And so they spelt it that way. But others, you couldn't tell. It looked like the real shoe. You know what would tell you if it was the real shoe? Once you bought the shoe and you put it on, and you go out and you play for the first time with that Nike shoe on, and the soul falls out of it. And you're sitting there with a shoe that once was one piece and now it's two. It didn't test. It didn't stand the test. It wasn't genuine. It wasn't able to endure the trial. So don't frown at your trials. But instead rejoice. If you stand strong, if you hold on to Christ, if you endure amidst the various trials that come your way, then be assured you belong to God. And praise him for he is the one who has carried you through. That faith that has been given to you is genuine. Faith is a gift of God and we must receive that gift. And if we truly receive that gift, I should say, then we will persevere. Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. So, 
God sustains us to the end. And that sustaining power of God is on display when we joyfully endure trials. James 1, 2. Now notice these next two texts that talk about trials. I want you to notice something. And even in the text today, trials are almost always connected to joy. Why is that? Because trials are the means God uses to test our faith. That's to make us happy. I wish someone had tested those Nike shoes for me. And so we read here in James 1, 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And later on, Peter says in chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. Verse 13, but rejoice. Peter uses that same Greek word, that intense joy. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So now, for a little while, meaning our trials are temporary, if necessary, meaning that our trials are designed, we have been grieved by various trials. And this produces a faith that is genuine, a faith that is, according to the Apostle Peter, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. So rejoice this Christmas, Christians. Rejoice in our gracious regeneration, our grand inheritance, our guaranteed perseverance, our genuine faith, and our glorious relationship, meaning our relationship with Christ. One day we will see him face to face at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We shall see him as he is, 1 John 3 tells us. We look forward to that day like 1 Corinthians 13, 12 tells us. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. But just because we have not seen him with physical eyes, it does not mean that we have not seen him with eyes of faith. For indeed, our blind eyes were opened at our rebirth. And so Peter acknowledges that a true, genuine relationship exists between Jesus and his people, even though they have not physically seen him. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Now notice something here. Peter begins this doxology in verse 3. Using pronouns that include himself. We. Us. But then as the passage progresses, he shifts. He shifts to pronouns that do not include himself. You. And I think that is because when he gets to verse 8, he cannot include himself. For he had seen Christ physically. Whereas the Christians he's writing to haven't. So Peter is certainly recalling Jesus' words from John chapter 20. Verse 29, he's certainly recalling what Jesus said. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Do you realize how strange it sounds to say that someone has a relationship with someone they've never seen? I mean, don't we think it's kind of unhealthy for our kids, especially when they get older, that they continue to have an invisible friend, right? Okay, Noah, you're 13 now. That invisible friend needs to disappear. I'm just joking. Noah doesn't have an invisible friend. But there's nothing crazy here. There is a true, supernatural, God-originated relationship 
True Christians have a deep, abiding, genuine, ongoing affection for and relationship with Christ. The verbs here, love him and believe in him, are in an ongoing, active tense. So Peter is speaking of an active, abiding, ongoing relationship. Abiding love and abiding faith. It's what Jesus spoke of in John chapter 15. Abide in me. It's this relationship that's real because of our union with him. It says you believe in him. Literally, it means you believe into him. So there when Peter says you believe in him, it would not be improper to translate that you believe into him. Showing that this relationship is based on a real mystical union between us and Christ. We have come to know him, or rather to be known by God, because we are one with Christ. We are united to him. So Christian, rejoice this morning. How blessed we are to know Christ. Do you know him in this sort of way? Do you abide in him? Is he closer to you than anyone you have seen with your physical eyes? Let that question hang in the air over you this morning. Is Jesus closer to you than anyone you have seen with your physical eyes, including your family? Do you have a personal, ongoing, deep, durable love and faith in Christ? Oh, how sweet it is to know Jesus in that way. And it produces something. It produces joy. Verse 8, rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Again, the word for rejoice is that very strong word. It literally means an otherworldly type of joy. But that's not sufficient for Peter. So not only does he use that, 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 very, that very descriptive word, he has, to, he has to describe it even more. He said it's inexpressible, unutterable, ineffable. It cannot be adequately described. And it's filled with glory. Literally, it means a glorified joy. The word glory means weighty. So it's a deep, weighty, glorified joy. It's not superficial joy. It's deep, it's durable, and it's a delight in the one true treasure of the universe. I think the reason Peter uses such superlatives is to help us see that the intensity and quality of our joy will correspond to the object in which that joy is found. Let me say that again. The intensity and the quality of our joy will correspond to the object in which that joy is found. You find your joy in Christmas dinners, and your joy will spoil as quick as the Christmas dinner. So if this Christmas your joy is in any earthly thing, it will fade. It will not be a deep and durable joy. But if your joy is in Christ and what he has done for you, then you will have an inexpressible joy filled with glory. And that brings me to my last point. For what has he done for us? He has worked a great salvation. He has worked a great salvation. Obtaining, verse 9, the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And I want that to be our conclusion this morning. The salvation of our souls. That's what Christmas is all about. It's not ultimately about a dirty stable filled with animals or about shepherds or wise men. Those are wonderful elements of the story, but ultimately it's about the cross. 
It's about God taking on human flesh. Jesus, the Son of God and Son of Man, 100% God, 100% man, coming to our fallen world to redeem fallen sinners like you and me. He suffered in the flesh to take our sin upon himself. He was born ultimately to die. He was wrapped in swaddling cloths to eventually experience the wrath of God. And for those found in him, those who have put all their faith in him, he has given us his righteousness, his perfection, so that we can be with our God forever. God with man, Emmanuel. So if you're a Christian this morning, rejoice. Rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. For you have been given a gift, a gift of a gracious regeneration, a grand inheritance, a guaranteed perseverance, a genuine faith, a glorious relationship, which is all part of a great salvation. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, I invite you to come. Come to Jesus. Come and see the reason for the season. And have joy like you've never had it before. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we go to texts like the one we looked at today, we realize how weak and sinful we really are because even though we may from time to time be able to describe our joy in the way Peter describes joy, if we're honest, we allow our joy to be stolen by this world. We fix our eyes on the things of the earth way too often. And what irony it is that at this time of the year, when we're supposed to fix our eyes on heaven, when we're supposed to be thinking about the incarnation, God made flesh. At this time of the year, Father, is a time when we mostly get our eyes off of you and on the world. So God, forgive us of that. Help us to have true joy. Well, I pray that, I pray that we'll get testimonies of kids this Christmas who didn't get what they wanted for Christmas, yet they had joy because it was rooted in the right place. So God, I just pray that you'd give us joy. When we're with those relatives, those relatives that want to pick apart our faith, I pray, Lord, we'll just smile and have a joy that just oozes out of us. So no matter how hard they poke, no matter how hard they insult, they cannot dampen what resides in our heart. So God, I pray that you'd do these things in our families of this church this week as we go out. Well, we know that there's some, many who couldn't be here today, whether it be sickness or a tragedy that's come into their family's life. And we just pray, Lord, a blessing of comfort upon them as they go into the Christmas season with a heavy heart. But Lord, even tragedy cannot diminish the joy of Christmas. Because what can man do to us? So we die. That just ushers us into eternal joy. So God, we praise you and we thank you. Ask now that you be with us as we sing this final song. May it be, may it be glorious to your ears. May you be pleased with this offering of praise. And Father, may you work in each one of our hearts this week to produce this inexpressible joy filled with glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.